We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 11th day of March, the year of our Lord, 2022. I am Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm more psychotic these days. Um, you know, the um, icons, those little Russian religious paintings, isn't that an yeah. icon? Well, it's, it's orthodoxy, uh, the orthodox religion. So you got those icon, you got those in uh, in Eastern Orthodox religion, uh, Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, th those types of things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So old, cracked, and of no physical use. That's me. Yeah. I'm an icon and I'm psychotic. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up. Bruce, how are you today? You're welcome. Uh, healthy and alive. Running on a little bit less sleep tonight, uh, today. I had a wonderful experience last night and uh, uh, smashed my toe on a drawer. Oh. And it split it right open. So, oh, goodness. goodness. Uh, my foot's in throbbing pain today, but other than that, yeah, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. You got it cleaned up and all stitched up and everything. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. Got it all. Yep. Got the bleeding under control yep. and everything. Yeah. Got it all under control. Yeah. Well, that's good. Which is why I have a little less sleep, but yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll try and get through this as quickly as possible, so you can go take a nap, uh, and then Marty this and I can head off. This is my sympathetic face. This is look <laughs> my sympathetic face. I, I actually uh, I, I thought about uh, not revealing that because my, that injury is minuscule compared to uh, the stuff well, that you guys have been. No, no, it, yeah, but I've I've got used to not sleeping. Last night was was fantastic because. Uh, around about 11.30, I woke up, needed the bathroom. I woke up again at 1.30, needed the bathroom. And then the leg that has been most recently operated on started to throb and ache. So I've been up since 4.30 this morning, and that's that's kind of usual for me. So I, I can't wait until, I don't know, they legalise some form of narcotic here so I can just drug myself to sleep but until they do I'm, I'm afraid i'm stuck with this but i i am sympathetic towards you bruce there's nothing worse than losing sleep and i've got a friend uh back in my hometown who's got a really nasty condition called fibromyalgia and she is in constant pain and sleep is just something that happens to other people so yeah you you do have my sympathy and i hope you feel better soon mate in time and I, I do appreciate it. Well, we're not going to spend the rest of the hour talking about uh, talking about old injuries. But what we are going to discuss today are the events of the day uh, and things that are surrounding everybody's life and what we're seeing. And, and we're going to get our take on things. I don't have the usual lineup uh, set up for us today because, Marty, you're on. So I thought we, we, we've got to line up tomorrow with Ned. We're going to be discussing a lot of the Pfizer dumps. But since you're on today... Uh, I guess let's just start with uh, with the obvious question that everybody's facing now. Let's start with fuel prices. What are they looking like in the UK? Diesel has gone over £2 per litre in certain parts of the country, particularly on the Isle of Wight, because um, 
obviously the tran the cost of transporting the fuel to the petrol stations there increases because it has to cross the Solent. But yeah, it's rising everywhere. And I I realized I probably should have filled my car up a couple of days ago. I'm gonna have to do it tomorrow now. And your boat as well. What are you gonna do with the boat? Well, fortunately, the boat doesn't use very much fuel. And until the weather gets a little bit better, I won't be using any at all. So uh, and until it's, you know, our one day of beautiful sunshine each year that the UK gets, I think the boat will be staying on its trailer where I keep it. I guess with it being in dry dock, you'll have uh, you'll have ample time to work on it this uh, this spring and summer, I guess. Yeah. Getting it ready for next year. Yeah. Well, it'll be ready for this year. Uh, this, this, but this you won't be able to summer, take it out because there's going to be so high gas prices. You're not going to be able to use it. I've got a very, very, very strong friend, and he can paddle. Very good, very good. Uh, let us <laughs> let us know how that goes when uh, when Ned works his arms out like that all day. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Bruce, you said you cracked four dollars a gallon there. Yeah, as an oil town, you were telling us the other day. I, I don't even think it was two days ago. You were saying three sixty. Yeah, it's gone up thirty uh, some cents in just a few days. Yeah, it was uh it was like 360 here a few days ago. Yesterday it was 380. Uh well, on yesterday's podcast it was 380. And then uh yeah, it went up another 10-15 cents or so. So it's it's right on the cusp of being over $4. It, it for the low low grade, it's under. It's like 390 something. And if you get the mid grade, it's 4 and then it's like 410 or something like that for the the high premium. Uh, diesel is over five dollars uh, a gallon. Yeah, of course. I didn't have a chance to uh, to look at the fuel prices today. I didn't pass a petrol station. I w- I did go out today. I was at the bank and uh, a couple other places, uh, but I didn't have a chance to pass a petrol station. So I I'm assuming that the prices here are going to mirror what you guys are dealing with. So it's probably closer to the UK than, than the US. But uh, that's okay. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, she has an excuse as to why all of this is happening, especially to those of you who are listening to us in America. There's a perfectly logical, reasonable explanation for all this. Check this out. You may have noticed this week that your gas prices have gone up. I want to talk to you a little bit about why. A lot of it has to do with Vladimir Putin. Oh, right, right. The reality is that Russia is one of the three largest oil producers in the world. And the fact that they have started this conflict, invaded a foreign country, and they are such a big producer of oil in the world, is the reason why the global oil markets are disturbed right now and why your gas prices are going up. The president's going to do everything he can to bring down the price of gas for the American people. But there are a few facts you should be aware of. U.S. production of oil and gas is rising. In fact, in the first year of the Biden presidency, there was more oil and gas produced in the United United States than the first year of the Trump presidency. And there's opportunities to produce more from here. But part of this is on the oil companies. Right now, there are 9,000 approved unused permits that oil and gas companies could tap into now to ramp up production. So what the president is doing is ensuring we're taking steps here to get more oil out into the global marketplace. That includes the release of 40 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve back in the fall. And he just 
just announced their planned release of an additional 30 million barrels. The only way to protect the United States over the long term is to become energy independent. That's why the president has been so focused on investing in clean energy technologies. There we go. So that there we can is. rely on that and not President Putin to set the price of gas. <laughs> you know what? There it they, is. They are, yeah, right at the end. But you know what? They are, they are blaming Putin for everything. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of blame to go on the Russians here for, for what they've done. But I'm not talking about that right now. I want to stay focused on this. I mainly played this to trigger Bruce because everything that she said within that, first of all, that's childlike. That sounds like a, a public service announcement that's given out to, to, to kindergartners is what that sounds like. They really yeah, think that was we're help. that stupid. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. That was help. It was help for the hard of, th hard of thinking. Exactly. Um, isn't it funny that we abbreviate a lot of words? Now, the word sarcasm or if someone is sarcastic in the UK, in fact, we all are. It, it, most of us are black belts in sarcasm, but it's also known as being sarky. And that's what she is, isn't it? She's trying to be sarcastic or, or rather she comes across as sarcastic, but she is, in fact, just condescending. But something I wanted to, to just broach here with regards to oil prices. There isn't a pipeline from Russia to the US, is there? Pumping not oil. Not that I, not that I, not no. the last time I checked. No, I think, I think no. it all has to go the, on, the, the uh, reason on tankers. They, they all, yeah, all used to go on tankers until Nord One and Nord and Two, yeah. Nord Two, Nord two. Were, were being built. Which, by the way, both of those are now offline. I might add. Yeah, yeah, but it takes possibly. Seven weeks to get from Russia to the U.S. with oil. It takes about the same time to get from the Gulf to the U.S. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks, a, a, a couple of not, weeks less. Do they? I could be wrong. Maybe you know this, and and maybe I and I'm because I don't. Do they not have an oil shipping port out of uh, Vladivostok? Uh, yeah, yeah. So from so, there, so, they could go to the West Coast. I, I'm just, I'm guessing here. Yeah, you, yeah, you're probably right, but it still takes a considerable amount of time. Yeah, yeah. we're talking yeah. weeks rather right. than days. Yeah, for oil to reach either from the OPEC countries or from Russia to the United States to be then refined uh, and and made into gasoline, petrol, whatever you want to call it, diesel. But isn't it funny how how long has this conflict been going now in in the Ukraine? Uh, I want to say two weeks. We're two, two weeks. Two weeks in, yeah. Two weeks, uh, and yet there there were tankers that set sail under an agreed price the day before, probably the the actual day and the and day the oil, after. And the oil companies, but the oil goes up, have already paid for it. Hike. They've already paid for it. Yeah, they've already paid for it. So these these raises are greed on the oil companies' behalf. And the other part of it is our governments, and I didn't realize that it was the same in the US, but around about 75% of the cost of a litre of petrol or diesel in the UK is revenue, is tax. And it's the government clawing back as much revenue as possible, as quickly as possible from us, from the people. You know, I mean... They they probably don't they they probably get an allowance the the MPs get a, a fuel allowance that they'll they'll be billing us for for their fuel as well. They've all got expense it, accounts. It, EU's yeah yeah of course it's it, it's 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 just us. We're the ones who are going to pay for it. Yeah, that's all I really wanted to say for that on on that. Although I received an email today from Change.org, which is quite useful. 
um, if you want to sign petitions, you know, quickly, because you, you can do it at a click. But then they ask you for money afterwards, um, which I always decline. But one today, we demand from Rishi Sunak um, immediate emergency funding for the NHS. Well, it's the people that would be demanding it, but it's also the people that are paying it. It's not the government. What what that petition is actually saying is tell the government to borrow more money, which which our children and grandchildren will be paying off in in the future. And you know, I'm a staunch supporter of the National Health Service. However, it is funded. Um, it might not be as funded as it should be, but that's because lots of staff have been leaving in droves just recently, and they've had to get agency staff in and people work in double and triple shifts to cover those staff because they refuse to get vaccinated. So it's just one thing after another, more expenses being piled on the people until such a point as where we indeed do own nothing and be happy bit. I'm not quite getting how they're going to do that, but we're certainly moving well towards owning nothing. Well, it'll be those uh, narcotics you were talking about, you know, that'll help you sleep. That That's that's what it'll be. Uh, oh. you'll, you'll be happy all the time, you see. The, the stuff about the oil and gas. So oil and gas, at least here in the States, I, I think this is true around the world, but um, the price of gas is based upon futures markets. So it's not necessarily what the price was when they bought the gas. It is what it's going to cost or, or oil. It's going to be based upon... Uh, what the future price is. So you're going to see fluctuations in the market before the gas uh, is actually, you know, actually increases in price, if that makes sense. So it, it's kind of a, a game they play a little bit there. Well, um, yeah, it, it it does make sense. Uh, and yeah, I was aware of the, the futures market, but the gas we're using now, uh, if I go to a gas station and fill my car up, that gas was produced weeks ago at a fixed yes. price, right? Um, and if it, it's it's basically it's it's the way dickheads like Soros manage to make a lot of money because he'll invest in the futures market and then cause a problem somewhere with his dodgy funding for for trouble and and create a crisis and suddenly everything goes up in price and the the stuff he bought at one price on the futures market is now worth two to three times what it was worth. If you've got a billion, you can make another billion dead easy. Yes, and I'm I'm not uh I'm not trying to condone it or anything. I'm just for the listener's sake, you know, if you didn't know, that's that's how the market it, it works. At the same time, uh as you said, it's the same thing here in, in the states. The government has like the biggest share of of the cost of gas, right? It's it's taxes. That aside, what uh, Pisaki was saying there, and yes, I'm putting the P there because it's there in her name. She was saying that, um, you know, th th there's like however many contracts are available that they could go and drill on. OK, there's a problem with those contracts. Number one, I want to know where the contracts are located. Show me where they're physically located. Then show me the survey showing that there's actual oil in those locations that she's saying that we could go and drill. So that 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 right there is something that she doesn't you know tell the tell the listener in that um, and then the the other nonsense that you know we should go on to the green energy and stuff and get away from petrochemicals again I would remind the listener look around your room try to find something in your room that is not petrochemical good luck we've become very reliant on petrochemicals and I don't think there's a rational person alive that wouldn't prefer it if there was 
some cleaner, renewable way of providing the same amount of energy as petrochemicals do. Uh, and in fact, products, just about everything, the plastic that surrounds your TV is a petrochemical. The laptop or phone that you're listening on is made using petrochemicals. Everything is. That's one of the issues with um, North Sea oil. You know, we, we've got our own oil offshore here in the UK, although the Scottish thinks it, or some of the Scottish think it's only theirs. But it's no good for making petrol, apparently. It's no good to make um, fuels. It's only good what's, for plastics and other British petroleum, then? uses. British Petroleum have got their their fingers in many pies and, and extract from all over the world. They do. So... But that's yeah. British oil, is it not? I mean, you, you buy the leases for those drilling sites, do you not? I don't understand enough about the oil industry to pass any further comment on that. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's what the, the, the contracts that Pasaki <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> we've got to be careful because actually there, there might be thousands, true, if yeah. not millions of people called Pasaki. Yeah, that's true. Um Oh no! I they, have, they can have they can have just sake if they want if that's what their name. Yeah, but yeah. For her, it's Pisaki. Right. Okay. I have one but, more clip. I have one more clip of her that we need to get to, and we can uh, we can move on to the uh, the Ukraine and Russia thing because I I would really love to get your take on uh, on what you think's going on over there. This is Peter Ducey from I believe it's I believe he's Fox, Bruce. Is he Fox News? He is Fox News. Yeah. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. He asks her the question that all of us that are thinking people we all ask the same question are you literally going to blame vladimir putin for everything i mean don't get me wrong there's plenty of blame to go there for a lot of things but like i said they're going to start blaming everything on putin all this stuff was going to go this way anyway putin just gave him a cover to do it with president's statement blames the putin price hike are you guys just going to start blaming putin for everything until the midterms? Well, we've seen the price of gas go up at least 75 cents since President Putin lined up troops on the border of Ukraine. And and last month, the statement didn't mention the Putin price hike. It mentioned inflation because of the pandemic. Why is that? Well, Peter, last year, last two years, there was a pan global pandemic. Everyone who's a global economist have all agreed that that has been the biggest contributor to date of inflation because of the impact on the supply chain. Obviously, global events impact the economy, the global economy, as well as global inflation. And the uh, price hikes as a result that have ex escalated over the course of time of President Putin's further invasion of uh, the impact on the global oil IO markets are, of course, having an impact. So translation, just to clear that up, translation, um, Peter, the agenda changed. And so we're changing how the talking points are going to go with that new agenda. That's all she said there. As I said, the oil prices, the uh, the, the rising cost of, of goods and services, the inflation, all this stuff was coming anyway. The economy was going to go this way inevitably. We're at endgame. Marty said it years ago. The banks are empty. That was our suspicion a couple of years ago. And after we got the documents from what they actually did from the FOIA requests, what the Fed did after the crash of 08 or what was supposed to be the crash of 08, and they bailed out the world economy to almost $30 trillion, and they've taken out another $100 trillion on top of that. This is not sustainable any longer. Historically, central banks, to cover their tracks, they always revert to war and hyperinflation. That's what they do, to, to cover their tracks. That, that's, what, that's what they'll do. So if a currency fails, that's where they go with it.
that's that's what they do every time. That's all she's re- referring to there is, is that she's just trying to spin it off and, and stay with the administration talking point to push it off onto the Russians. Well, the third one is is natural disasters. Now, you can't necessarily, although probably by now we can create an earthquake in a, in a region where that's going to cause prices to be hiked and, and futures markets to to um, uh, increase exponentially. But they have been able to produce disease, it, it would seem. And and so there, there's your third option right there with, with what the banks can do. War. Oh, yeah, now. Pa- hyperinflation. Now yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but and to cover things, actually, that's what that, they do. Yeah, but the hyperinflation is actually the effect of those other two things, either a man-made disaster or a natural disaster, Some, where, where something's gone wrong, where, where the way of doing business has, has broken down. And, you know, we've been discussing for a few, well, at least two weeks now, has Vladimir Putin gone rogue? Or is he following his side of the um, of, of the deal as far as the World Economic Forum and the Davos Group are concerned? Because it would certainly seem that there's so many reasons why they would want him to invade Ukraine. But it's and, wrong time. And he's been pro- it's well, wrong time. But he, I, th- I think he, I think that he's still following his part of the plan or part of the agreement. But he's also going to grab as much as he can for his own ego in the name of the Russian people as he can. Yeah, yeah. But he's losing support at home. So let me let me run this one past you, because I'm hearing I I can't tell you how many different theories I've heard on this. I don't know what's going on in Ukraine. I have no idea. I, I can only speculate just like all of you. That's all I can do. I've heard four experts on the former Soviet Union and the current Russian Federation, which I believe they're one and the same. But nonetheless, that's a different argument for a different day, I think. But I've heard four experts today And when I say experts, I'm talking people that have studied the Soviet Union in detail for 30 plus years of their career. I've heard four separate people discuss what they believe is going on with the whole Russia, Ukraine and NATO thing. And I've heard four different opinions. It's like getting a prognosis from a doctor, right? (laughs) You you go around, you see four different doctors, you get four different opinions. It's the same thing with with what I've heard today. I've heard four different experts, actual experts, on the Soviet Union talk today on this matter, each for about 45 minutes, and all four of them have different opinions. So what can I do with that information? I can listen to all four points of view, and I can form my own opinion. That's all I can do with it. That's it. And I can speculate based off of that. That's all I can really do. But let, let me run this one past you, because this is kind of a mix of like two or three different agendas I heard today. So what if Putin is is actually... He, he's part of what's going on with, with the World Economic Forum, which we know he's been part of in the past. I mean, you got you got him being part of the young global leaders and everything. So, yes, he, he is part of that. And I do believe that he is doing things in lockstep with them. However, at the same time, Putin also knows that the world wants a savior, right? That's what people like. People like to see some kind of a savior coming in. Vladimir Putin's not a savior. I wholeheartedly believe that. I thought that before I heard any of these opinions. I don't think he's some kind of a white knight or, or whatever. I think that's I think that's nonsense. But what if we're now to the point where, and I and I believe that this is actually the case. This this part I actually believe. What if we're now to the point where the how, I, I really don't know of any other way to put it. Um, the communists and and the old Bolshevik lines. Because let's face it, Schwab has a bust of Lenin in his office. What if you have that old line of thinking that has now 
infiltrated so many organizations. It's infiltrated our capitalist organizations here in the West because it's offered to get in bed with them and do and do business and, and make all kinds of money. Because you've got you've got the Soviets, or excuse me, you've got the Russians that collapsed the Soviet Union. I believe on purpose. I'm reading a book on it right now by Antono, uh, um, Antonelli, um, uh, whatever his name is. Um, I, I'm reading a book on it right now called New Lies for Old. And basically, it was uh, it was a high level KGB guy that said, "Look, he defected to the West in the in the mid '80s, and he said the Soviet Union is going to collapse, but it's not. They're going to make it look like it's collapsed because they need to get the U.S. and the U.K. out of Europe. They want to distract NATO. They want to move that." into another war. We got into the conflict in the Middle East right after that, right after the 90s began. So you've got one faction that's the old Soviet line, because let's look where Putin came from, right? Was head of the KGB. You don't get to be head of the KGB of two things. One, you had to be a communist. And two, I love the people that say, oh, Putin's a Christian. He's wearing a cross around his neck. You can't be a communist and a Christian. You can't be. It's not possible. You work off of dialectical materialism under Marxism. There is no religion under Marxism. So this whole this whole concept that that he's uh, th- this uh, uh, reformer and he's he's going to spread Christianity. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. I think it's all lies. You want to talk about Russian disinformation. That's it. They're the ones that are giving it to you right on the face of it. So you've got the capitalist organizations that have done deals with the Chinese and who are teamed up with the Russians. We've let our guard down here in the West. Our institutions are infiltrated. Our I don't even want to call it a, a corrupt uh, crony capitalist system. We're a plutocracy, more or less, uh, with Klaus Schwab and his type. That's a plutocracy. You've got rich people running around that are that, that have got all the money that are running around making policy. The governments are just kind of in the way. And you notice they're getting them out of the way. That's a plutocracy. So you have these institutions that are all corrupted. Now you've got power plays that are being made under which side wants to actually control and run things. And I think the old Russian way... Uh, that Putin was brought up in. I think that's what he wants to do. He wants to get the band back together, as I like to say. He wants to bring back the old Soviet Union, because if you listen to his speech, he said Lenin created modern day Ukraine uh, and the dissolution of the Soviet Union was illegal. That sounds like to me like he wants to go and get all that real estate back when I listen to it. Well, so now now it comes a, a, a power struggle. I think that I think that Putin did uh, I think he I think he cooperated with Schwab up to a point uh, in the Western power structures up to a point. But I think now it's coming to the point where uh, I think he's starting to turn on them. But he's not any kind of savior is my point. No, he, he's also making a fundamental mistake. I mean, when we look at the map of Europe and we see part of Russia, the bit that goes into Asia doesn't tend to be shown on the maps. It is a massive country. There's no saying it's good to learn from your mistakes, but I've adapted that to it's good to learn from your own mistakes, but it's better to watch somebody else screw up and learn from them. That way you don't have to suffer the pain of the mistake. Well, the Roman Empire um, in its time got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the problem was that Rome in the centre had to fund more and more troops to defend the perimeter. And as they defended the perimeter, that's when the rebellion started inside the perimeter of the countries and and city-states of Rome and and so on. And it's the same with Russia. It's still got its rebellious regions that that don't want to play Putin's game. And a lot of his soldiers... A lot of his yeah. soldiers, just on that point, a lot of his soldiers, a lot of them, and I heard this today too, a lot of them actually walked off, as in they deserted, because 
they were essentially being told as they were going into Ukraine that, oh, you're going to be fighting all nationalists and all neo-Nazis and everything else. And once they got there, a lot of them were saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, we've got cousins that are down there. We're not going to go yeah. in and start bombing these cities. And a lot of them deserted. I, I heard that. I heard that. I don't know. There's so much there's so much disinformation coming out of there. It's it's hard to sift through all that. But yeah, I mean, what we're hearing on the mainstream media is that the majority of the Russian troops that are there are conscript troops. They're not professional soldiers. And that may well be the case. But they have got some extremely good professional units and professional forces so why aren't they using them why why are we seeing the these failures you know napoleon made the mistake of of uh you know moving trying to move around in in winter and it effectively although we've passed the point of sort of calendar spring now it's still really really cold and, and damp and you've got that convoy that goes on for 40 miles just bogged down um, and being attacked regularly now. They seem to be making some really fundamental mistakes in in, in what they're trying to achieve. And um, up against a similar uh, country, but without the same size of armed forces, Russia should have just walked through Ukraine. I, I want to play a couple of pieces of audio here, just because you haven't been on since since these statements were made, and I, I want to get your take on on just the 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 how do I even say this to to give it the, the proper introduction that it deserves the um the the blatant nakedness of, of just the gall that these people have to come out and call for an assassination of another world leader like this. This is a sitting senator. We played this earlier in the week, but I want you to hear it. This is a sitting senator in the United States named Senator Lindsey Graham openly calling on national tele- on live national TV for Vladimir Putin's assassination. Somebody in Russia has to step up to the plate. Is there Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the <coughs> Russian military? The only way this sh- ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country a great service and the world a great service. And then, if that, if that wasn't bad enough, and then you have... Another Fox News host named Sean Hannity, who was speaking about that convoy that you're mentioning and saying this. You know, if we can see on satellite imagery where the convoy is, I don't know, maybe some smart country, maybe NATO might take some of their fighter jets uh, or maybe they can use some drone strikes and take out the whole damn convoy. And then nobody takes credit for it. So then Putin won't know who to hit. These people are nuts. They've gone insane. There's a little thing called IFF, Identify Friend or Foe, and it's a, a a way of knowing whether it's your aircraft or somebody else's aircraft, and of course it can be switched off. But if uh, three or four squadrons of strike aircraft uh, went and took that convoy out, the Russians would know whose, whose aircraft they oh, were. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and then to call for the an assassination? Second, well... Calling for assassination, he's he's just speaking the way he feels, isn't he? But the other guy talking about was it or was it both the same guy? No, no, no. One was a sitting senator, no. the other one was a was a TV show host. Okay, so the TV show host clearly has never watched any footage of uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki and doesn't understand the outcome of relatively small nuclear explosions, which would be the result of NATO, any NATO country, 
taking out that convoy. The man's an idiot. There's no two ways about it. What we've got here, we've got a barroom brawl where people are armed. And at the moment, they're still just using their fists. And as long as they keep using their fists, we can see a way out of it. It's when the first one pulls a gun. That's when it's all over and no one wins. So I'm going to I'm going to propose an idea here, another possible scenario of what's going down. So we, we've talked about ESGs and we've talked about how uh, in the Great Reset, there's not going to be one nation ruling over any other nation. They're all going to be on par with one another equals. Is Russia not considered a world power? They are. So would it not technically fit the agenda to make R- Russia look weak? To go in and uh, do this battle, maybe they are really using conscripts. Maybe they really are using old equipment. Uh, maybe maybe that's true um, because they want to make themselves look weak to fit the Klaus Schwab agenda, to fit the, because as we said, Putin is a um, young global leader. So maybe he does buy the, the BS and think he's going to have a seat at the table. Maybe he thinks he's going to be somebody important on the world stage, uh, more so than he is now. Yeah, but the, um, the tactics so, that they have traditionally is they go in, they'll, they'll cooperate, but they'll go in and get their own people in and subvert the organization to kill everybody involved. That's what they do. That's what Marxists right. do with organizations like that. Right. Um, the other thing, though, uh, this is this is just kind of brainstorming. This isn't something that I subscribe to, just to be clear. Uh, but this is just brainstorming on a possibility. The other thing is, is if you look at the ESG stuff, that's done by corporations. That's not done by government. And what has all the corporations done to Russia? They've effectively effectively sanctioned them. They've effectively shut them out uh, from most major corporations that are a part of the ESG agenda. So everything's fitting into alignment with ESGs in that sense. But the the one thing in this is where Putin stands and what his intentions are. That is the part that I don't know and I can't prescribe motive to. We're just guessing. We're shooting from the hip. But as far as what the companies are doing and, and whatnot, that is ESGs at work. That is the Great Reset, hands down. But the stuff that's going on with uh, attacking Ukraine, actually what it could be too is they could have uh, they could have goaded uh, Russia to do it. Uh, they could have basically made all, all the NATO countries look weak enough to be like, well, you know, pandemic and everything, we're, we're not going to be able to do anything to stop Russia from going in and take Ukraine. And this this president's weak. So maybe they tried to goad him into doing it. I don't think Putin's that stupid to fall for it. But it, 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 that, that's no, another the timing. The timing's too. Yeah, yeah I, I, just, I get what you're saying. The timing's too obvious, in my opinion. Yeah. Because if you look at the timing of it, he needed to go in now, even though militarily it's it's ridiculous because you got the thaw that's happening. And if you look at what's going on over there, you can't run wheeled vehicles or hell even track vehicles through the the countryside in Eastern Europe. It's a it's a muddy mess. It's a muddy mess. You have a very small window of opportunity if you're going to launch a military offensive into those countries. Hitler didn't even go in there until summer because he knew that this time of the year would have been a lost cause for him. So he didn't go in there during that time. He waited until summer, which is what they should have done. However, I think, and this is this is playing into, you know, uh, Putin playing both sides here. If he's playing both sides, that's a perfect opportunity for uh, what Marty brought up last week, saying, I think that Putin got the call from Klaus saying, you need to go in there and start this up and drag this out because we're having a real problem here with all of this data, with these vaccine deaths 
uh, and everything else. We're losing on the home front. We need you to create a distraction for us. Don't chew up your uh, your good stuff, and then we'll give you an enemy in there, like we heard about the 450 uh, various foreign nationals that got there uh, that got there yesterday. You've got ISIS fighters in Ukraine now uh, that, that's being reported, uh, and you've got Canadians. other uh, Canadians, UK, UK. Mm. yeah, uh, Dutch, uh, Brazilian fighters, Portuguese fighters, Spanish fighters. They're all in there now. Every single hired mercenary gun in the world is now showing up. On um, GB News yesterday, a former colonel of my old regiment was explaining how he'd been talking to one of the guys who was a uh, you know ex-army, and he's out there now. His wife is Ukrainian, so he's gone over to to Kiev to um, to to fight, and he's he's using British anti-tank weapons supplied by us against Russian armor. And the thing about the armor is, as you say, it's the thaw. They'll get bogged down. Most of Ukraine is arable land. It's got the most arable land in all of Europe. And if you try and cross that kind of plowed land, tracked vehicles, even you know vehicles that are designed to go over rough ground, they're going to get bogged down. So they're all sticking to the roads. And because Putin knows that Ukraine doesn't have the air power to independently take those vehicles out while they are on the road, and NATO certainly isn't going to impose a no-fly zone, they're still managing to achieve, or should be managing to achieve, what they set out to achieve by road use, rather than um, diverting round and flanking by going over land, which, of course, if they waited two or three months, they would have been able to do. So as you say, the timing is all out. It's so obvious that this is the next crisis that is there to distract us. You've got hats like Boris Johnson, who should be arrested just for his own people's misdemeanours during his imposed lockdown, all the rules they broke. Of course, which we all agree were nonsense, but according to the law, his own aides and people in Downing Street broke the rules and should be arrested. But of course, that's all forgotten about now because he's standing there with a blue and yellow flag behind him and saying how much he respects Zelensky and uh, and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's all being forgotten about. I mean, I imagine most people by now have forgotten that COVID-19 came from um, from Wuhan in China because it was called the South African variant or the Indian variant or the Brazilian variant. And they, they spread these variants all over the world so that it, it it's like, have I mentioned before, the agouti. The agouti is, is a small rodent that lives in the Amazon. And when it's being chased by an anaconda, it farts in its face and the bubbles confuse the snake. Yeah. Yes, you have mentioned and, that. Yeah, and, I don't. I don't. And, I didn't remember the name, but you don't forget a, yeah. a description like that. Well, on, there's, there's an agouti system on on naval warships, and basically it blows air um, from around the propeller blades, which stops the cavitation so that um, they become quieter and less detectable. It hides their noise signature, and these all these different little things, fuel prices, cost of living problems war in the ukraine all of these things are there to distract the art of warfare is deception and we're being deceived and distracted yeah and and 
we are at war. The whole world is at war and we're at war with the World Economic Forum because they want to change everything about our lives. You got it, my friend. You got it. Speaking of uh, people that should uh, that should be in jail, you've mentioned uh, Tony Blair before. And, you know, he's he's, of course, been knighted now. Uh, he's, I'm going to have uh, to clean that up now. You've mentioned his name again, <laughs> and I have to spit on the floor. We we would like to because we we know what's going on is a distraction uh, from COVID and what they've done with COVID. We're going to be talking about that with Ned tomorrow on the Pfizer dumps. That is horrendous, and we're going to be talking about the collusion with the media on top of that uh, and what they did there and how they were complicit in all this. But we've played clips of this guy here before. Uh, we've mentioned him here before. This is a funeral director from Milton Keynes. His name is John O'Looney. He's doing a podcast called The Voice of Wales, and he's talking about what he's seeing, and he's also talking about Tony Blair. And I think that you and he would have a lot in common, Marty. Listen to this. I've seen it. I've had 70 or 80 funeral workers from various positions within the industry reach out to me and personally agree with me. And then I've even had them tap me on the shoulder at a local crematorium, and I'll say, well, that's great. What about if you speak? And then they look at the floor and they shuffle their feet, and they've got mm. no backbone. You know, they're frightened. Uh, and let's face it, who wouldn't be frightened? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if these people are willing to commit mass murder, you know, genocide uh, yeah. and mass sterilization. In fact, it was really interesting because it was put to Sir Graham at that meeting towards the end. He, he was told openly, you know, do you do realize that when people find out what this government has done, there'll be civil unrest and possibly civil war? And he agreed. He said, yes, we know. He said the government are actually well prepared for it. And they're surprised yeah, it well. hasn't happened already. They're surprised it hasn't kicked off already. That was what he actually said. Yeah. They're, they're rubbing their hands and they, you know, this whole clap for the NHS, you know, you yeah. could hear it yeah, no yeah, matter yeah, where yeah. you were in the UK, yeah. you, you could hear it. So that yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. that to me, that was soul destroying because you could see the compliance. Um, we, we've got 80,000 NHS staff prepared to throw their careers away but I'm still a conspiracy theorist. If it was just me, I'd agree it isn't. I kind of, uh, well, I kind of wonder, it's one of two things. Have they perhaps thought, well, COVID's not doing the job. We need to nuke Europe, uh, you know, in a, in a uh, you know, a, a deliberately um, activated war. Because they've pushed. The only ones who didn't want to fight was Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, they're warmongers. Look at Tony Blair, you know, a universally condemned liar and war criminal. What right did we have to go into Iraq? Mm. Syria. What right did we have to go into Syria? None. 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 No. no different to Hitler going into Poland, you know, and everyone said how wrong that was. We we went in there under the flag of hypocrisy and uh, they ashamed, make me ashamed to be British. Do, do, I, do mind, I, he, he's now been knighted. He's now been knighted. Uh, well, given, it's, given it's his fast, title. It's fast become a badge of shame, hasn't it, you know? Absolutely. It, yeah, it's yeah. not a badge of honour anymore. It's a badge of shame and corruption and paedophilia and lies, you know, and, and when you're going to give someone like Tony Blair, a, you know, you might as well give the Yorkshire Ripper a night or then, mightn't you? Because yeah. he, he's no better than the Yorkshire Ripper. He's a scumbag. And he's well, cost the lives of millions of people, Tony Blair. And he's yeah. openly condemned as a universal liar. Yeah. How, can he, how can he not be languishing in a prison cell? Yeah. Well, the, the one thing about me. the Yorkshire Ripper, at least he got a chance to go in front of a court this yeah. guy, yeah, 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 he would never see, yeah, he would never see a court. You know, um, House of Parliament this week. I can't remember who it was who made the suggestion. I think it was one of the opposition parties, uh, but they stood up at Prime Minister's Question Time and basically said that Zelensky should be given the highest honour that we can give him, which is an honorary knighthood. So uh, I, I honestly 
don't know who the bad guy is here, and it may be well, well be that there's two bad guys, but which one is less bad than the other? Again, I'm I'm not sure. You can only you can only surmise in your own opinions these days because there's no way to really make that determination we have, based on yeah, everything. Yeah, we 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 have, despite our best efforts not to be, we've been totally gaslit by this because it's not making any sense, and it. It's that one fact that it's not making any real sense that tells us that it's it's deliberate. It, it's not just something that's happened. It's not just an argument between two neighbouring countries. It's something that's being pushed by the powers that be, and those powers are the World Bank. They are the Rothschilds. They are the Rockefellers. They are the Gateses and Soroses and Schwabs of this world. Today... Several Russian oligarchs have been sanctioned. They've had their assets frozen. How's um, that going to work with Abramovich with Chelsea? Uh, he, he he's looking to offload it. He's looking to sell it. But I, at the I moment, know he had an offer for three billion. But I mean, you own a, you own an entire football club out of the uh, the Premier League. That's not an easy asset to to offload when you're sanctioned. No, he's going to have to sell it cheap, um, or maybe he can't even offload it until the sanctions are lifted. And then why would he bother selling it then? Because it's it's extremely successful. So do these sanctions mean anything? Are they just having a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a break? Because whatever tax they do pay in the country where they've they've got their businesses and their corporations, if they've been sanctioned for six to eight months, that's a whole year's worth of tax revenue lost to that government because they will run at a loss. For that time. So you only pay tax on profit. Corporation tax is paid on profit. It's not paid on turnover. So by shutting these businesses down, what the governments are actually doing, or rather, you know, freezing their assets and sanctioning the business and and, and um, forbidding them from trading is taking their own re- revenue away, uh, which just proves how worthless money actually is. It's worth nothing because it doesn't exist anymore. They've borrowed themselves to the point where they, you know, money is worthless. Does it give you comfort? Just to just kind of circle back for a second. Does it give you comfort to know that people think the same way as you do about the, the social status of Tony Blair? Does it give you comfort to know that you're not alone in thinking that? He has Obviously, been key. I know lo- he has been key yeah, in, in a lot of the COVID stuff. He's been out there pushing it, saying we need digital IDs and and people got to take it. If you don't take it, you're just a moron. You're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that kind of stuff. I nearly had to buy a new television when I saw that because I, 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 I was already leaping towards it to punch his, <laughs> his face. But it, it is gratifying to know that other people are speaking out about it. But of course, I've known that lots of people all feel the same way. Lots of people I served with felt the same way. Going back to the the, the whole thing about Iraq, because I thought of this earlier on when you were talking about Putin and who's trained what to do what and how they all feel about uh, Marxism and the fact that Schwab's got a bust of Lenin. Well, Saddam Hussein was actually trained at Sandhurst, which is what our army officer training establishment. And he, I believe he passed out of Sandhurst as well. Uh, and he would have been an ally to a certain degree if, if, he, was, if he was used in the right way. But they decided that what he wanted was more than they were willing to give. And when I say, when I say they, I mean the, the deep state, the World Economic Forum, the global elite. 
they didn't want him. Uh, they didn't want him as leader because he was bringing stability to his part of the region. And what they wanted was the turmoil. They wanted the flow of those refugees out of the Middle East. They triggered it later on as well with the Arab Spring. Um, we know how the Clinton, as in Hillary, was absolutely nuts deep in that whole thing. Yep. So the entire State uh, Department under her. But but again, you circled back, so I'll circle back. Are we sure that Putin was head of the KGB? Because I've seen a recent sort of biop on uh, a documentary that says when he first finished university, he went to try and join the KGB and they rejected him. And it was much, much later after he'd got involved with the World Economic Forum that he was then recruited and he was in a fairly small KGB office and not actually the head of the KGB. So his influence doesn't come from his status within the... That's the way I'm seeing it at the moment, and I, I'm okay. I'm happy well, to be, happy to be corrected. I had well, but to be honest with you, I had not heard that before. But I did hear today again from I, and I've heard this from two different experts on the Soviet Union that he was uh, head of the KGB, uh, and he wasn't the only one. One other person that we knew of, or that we knew that had some kind of ties to the Kremlin or what's uh, or something like that, was uh, was Henry Kissinger. And Kissinger, of course, he goes all the way back to the Nixon administration, but he was recruited by the KGB out of Germany in 1945 and in Germany at the time. And then later he was in the East uh, when the wall was up, he was in the East and he did their bidding then through the Stasi. And of course, even now he still takes luncheons every now and again at the Kremlin with Vladimir Putin. And of course, this is the guy, this is the guy that influenced Klaus Schwab's way of thinking over 50 years ago at Harvard University. Schwab says it himself. I just played the clip here the other day. Again, this spider's web of of interconnecting people, when you look at the size of the world population, what is it, 7.2 billion, something like that? Something like that, yeah. We're only talking about 3,000 people who have got that level of influence and power. Uh, And it's because... They've been the ones that have been paying the lawmakers. They've been the ones that have been paying the policymakers, the politicians. They've been the ones that have funded their careers. So there's this debt of gratitude. And on top of that, that's 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 actually never enough, is it? Just to have someone grateful to you, to get them to do something that is against their conscience you need dirt on them or you need to be able to threaten them. And that's exactly what these people are doing. And and Blair's another one. Blair is is basically um, a, a Soros-funded agent of the WEF. And he's so unlike a conservative, uh, sorry, a Labour um, leader that I was used to when I was growing up. People like... Um, Hang on, it'll come to me in a minute. Smoked a pipe, very Yorkshire, northern chap. Not Ted Heath. Ted Heath was a conservative. Why can't I think of his name as my age? Can you help me out here? You can't. Of course you can't. You're American. I can't help you, no. But I, the only labor leaders that I know of in modern times, and when I say modern, I'm talking the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, Michael Foote. Yeah, well, now forget him. He's the same as Blair. Yeah, forget and then you him. had the Miliband it, brothers, you know, Ed and David Miliband. Yeah, I, I know them. Both the same, both the same as Blair. It was yeah. people and like Michael Foote, out and out communist. Yeah. Corbyn, out and out communist. Yeah. But before them, well before them, Jim Callahan was more of a man of the people. 
And before Jim Callahan, and it'll come to me in a minute, I'm going to have to Google it. Just give me a second. Turns out I didn't need to sully myself by using Google. All I needed to do was uh, relieve my extremely aged bladder. As I did so, it came to me. It's Harold Wilson was the oh, Labour yes. leader. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mentioned him now, before. Yeah. yeah. Flat cap, whip it, smoked a pipe. Typical man of the people, a real Labour leader. All of these people, like the Miliband brothers, like Gordon Brown and like Tony Blair, they are just generic politicians. They, they are churned out of the universities with their degrees in history, politics and in economics. They're manufactured and they're manufactured through sponsorship by people like Soros. They must also have dirt on them. The ones that haven't got dirt on don't last very long because they get ousted by the people who have got who they have got dirt on. It's the same thing. Um, you know, they, yeah. people get catapulted into politics, and then once they find out that they've got fake credentials and their entire background's a shell, they're they're just they're gone one day. No one knows what happened to them. They just disappear. And they'll replace them with someone else. We we know we know that Schwab is incredibly proud of the fact that he's penetrated all the cabinets of of sort of the western world so what do we do i had um a leaflet came through my door yesterday and it was from the local conservative party and they that's this is for the local council not the state parliament this is just local council there were several questions and they used the phrase build back better twice throughout this questionnaire and um, I've filled it in and I'm going to return it. Um, they've given us an envelope, prepaid envelope to send it back, but I'm at, they put their address on the back, on the bottom of it. So I'm, I'm going to go and return it in person uh, and I'm going to ask them, why are they using this World Economic Forum mantra in local politics? Are they, the, these two candidates, both female, are they aware of what it means and where it comes from and, and, and what the potential outcome of a Great Reset will be? I'm going to try and ask them the questions. The trouble is, there's been two incidences uh, in this country, at least, at sort of MPs or councillor surgeries where people have murdered the MP. So I've, I've, I've got to... I've got, I've got to um, First of all, make sure I can get in there safely and speak to them because they, there's a lot of blockers in the way now, as in security. Will they actually let me even let me in the office? But the last question is, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to vote for the following parties? And it listed all the parties right the way through Conservative, Labour, Lib Dems, the Reform Party, which is now was the Brexit Party, uh, and and so on, the Green Party, and I've I've ticked zero for all of them, and then handwritten underneath any independent because it's the parties that 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 are the problem. Again, I'm just repeating myself here because I've said it many times. But see, see, this is what you've done to me. You've got me all confused because you had to mention Tony Flipping Blair. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. But I get what you're saying. But you know, I I think what's important to understand is we're we're closing on or we're closing in on our uh, on our time here. But I think what's important for people to understand, uh, and we can go ahead and do our our closing comments now. But what's important for people to understand is there there's a lot of the truth, but there's also a lot of falsehoods that are happening. So you need to be able to distinguish that. The whole biolab thing. I mean, we didn't even get into that uh, that side of things, but the the only thing that I can say to that is 
We've got the receipts. And quite frankly, I would have dismissed it if it wasn't for what's her name? Uh, Newland or whatever it was. Yes, we talked about it, but we got the receipts and the U.S. government, the State Department, namely, started to pull it. Usually when they're pulling it and the media comes out and outright denies it, doesn't talk about it, or it's blatant disinformation that they label it, that usually means there's something there. Now, to the extent of what the Russians are saying, I don't know. I don't know. Quite frankly, I, I, I don't trust the Russians. I just don't. Yesterday when I heard the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov, when I heard him talking, everything that guy said was right. Do I trust him? Not for a second. Not for a second. I don't trust anything coming out of the Russian government. I don't trust anything coming out of ours. I don't trust anything coming out of the Russian media. I don't trust anything coming out of our media. So there's an equal amount of distrust on all sides here. One thing that I, one thing that I know for sure is that in the manner that, that my mind is working, as in the Soviet Union never actually collapsed, right? I'm thinking along those lines. I'm still thinking along those lines. You have to understand how the Soviets, and, and more, more to the point, how, how Marxists like to deceive, right? It's not just them. There's plenty of blame to go on China here as well. Has anybody even stopped to consider that? We're still not paying any attention to China. Well, I did I, that the the week this all broke. I said, "Please, please remember where it came from." Exactly. And no, no, no one is. No, no one's paying any attention to China at the moment at all. The only thing that they're seeing is currently the Winter Paralympics, which finishes tomorrow, I believe. I haven't watched any of it. Um, all the all the Winter Olympics. A I'm not that interested, and B, as as a little protest, I refuse to watch it because it's coming out of China. Yeah, I I, I concur. We didn't we didn't watch it at all, but uh, we, and we shouldn't even, we shouldn't have even taken part. Oh yes, we diplomatically boycotted it. So what? They don't care. They don't care. But you have to understand how they deceive people. I heard this story today from the the experts uh, on the former Soviet Union, and he uh, he told a story, uh, and this is a true story. There was a Greek Orthodox priest who visited Moscow during the uh, the time that the Soviet Union was was going on. And uh, this is back in, I want to say it was like the uh, the 70s or the mid-80s or something like that. And he visited Moscow because he wanted to, to see and, and tour and learn about the, uh, the collectivized dairy farms that they had uh, in Russia. And so Moscow had an official tour that was set up for people that would come there so they could take them there and, and show, them that th- show them that stuff. And uh, he got together uh, with all the other people that were that were booked for the tour in Moscow. They all piled in the van uh, or the bus or whatever it was. They all piled in that and they drove out to where the collectivized farm was, the, the, the collectivized dairy farm was. Well, the uh, the van broke down and it was just outside of a little town. They hadn't quite made it there yet. It was just outside of a little town. And they were told, look, uh, our, our van is broke down. Uh, there, there's not a whole lot we can do. Uh, we're going to have to we're, we're going to have to try and get, uh, you know, tow trucks, some kind of services out here. But uh, you guys can go on into the town there and check out the, the shops and the services and, and, and everything. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of a touristy town. So you can go there until we can get things sorted out here. So they went into town. And as they got into town, they noticed that there was a wedding that was going on at the church. And seemed like half the town was there. And then, of course, the people that were there, they got invited to the wedding and they had a great time. And, and people got to talk to them, as in the tour, the people that were on the tour, they got to talk to them and they asked them, what's life like here? You know, how, how do you guys how do you guys uh, do as far as like standard of living and everything? And said, you know, we don't have all the anemones and everything, but it, all in all, it's, it's, it's not too bad. So they spent the afternoon with them. They had a great time. They, they got to the wedding reception and everything. And it was it was really fun. Right. It was really fun. And they left. They left. Of course, they never made it to the collectivized farm. And all the people went back and they pretty much told everybody about their account. You know, oh, yeah, we didn't make it to where we wanted to make it to. But, you know, it was unfortunate. But 
uh, we had a pretty good time. We met a lot of nice people, and this is how they live, and this is what we learned. So the next year comes along, and the Greek priest, Greek Orthodox priest, decides, hey, I didn't get a chance to see that uh, that collectivized dairy farm in Russia that I wanted to see the last time. The tour is still available, so I'm going to book it again. So he went the next year, and again, you know, got on the, the, the bus or the van or whatever it was, and drove out, and guess what? The bus, er, the, van, the van broke down in the same exact place. They got told to go to the town. The same couple was getting married in the church, and they were told the same stories by the same people. Oh, my word. Yeah. To give that, you that, an idea of what kind of deception we're dealing with here. That's what we're dealing well, with. They, they, they will deceive outsiders, certainly. Anyone who's not part of their system, they, they will deceive them. You know, in my one and only visit to mainland China was Shanghai, uh, 1986. And they would only, they, they wouldn't give us their currency, that we couldn't buy yuan with our pounds. What we could buy were things called friendship tokens. And the friendship tokens could only be spent in certain places. So that immediately limited us as to where we could go and what we could see. So we were guided to only see the best of what they have. But did you tell me the joke about the guy who wanted to buy his, um, what's the Russian car called? The the Moskova or something like that? They made a car over there called the Zill. The it Zill. It wasn't very good. Right. Yeah, it never uh, really worked or anything. But this, this guy saved up his rubles because there was a long, long wait for people to get the cars. Even though they hadn't got the vehicle, they had to pay in full, then wait. 10 years in some cases. Did you tell me about this? No, I didn't. But it was the same thing I, when I was uh, when I was uh, studying about uh, about East Germany when the wall was up. It was it was the same thing. You had to put, well, your, the, the, put it in. It was 18 this, years here. This this guy you know, on the morning he gets up and he's got his all, all his rubles together and he goes down to the state run car showroom. He couldn't have a nice hot bath in the morning because his boiler was broken. Uh, but he gets he gets there on, on a tram and it takes him two or three hours to get there. And the guy behind the desk says, OK, where's your money? So he hands over the, the cash for the car, the entire amount. He says, OK, come back in 10 years and your car will be ready. He says, AM or PM? He says, oh, in 10 years, why will it matter? He says, because in the PM, the plumber is coming to fix my boiler. They, that's, that's about right, yeah. Yeah, they don't have the best of amenities. Not you, What was that word you used? Amenities. amenities that is so American. Yeah. yeah, we say amenities, but you say either, I say either. Tomato, tomato. They don't have, yeah, they, they don't have the best. They don't have what we expect. But in the, the big cities, they do. And that's where they'll show people. That's where people will be shown round. And, oh, it's also cosmopolitan and modern. Isn't it fantastic? You go a few miles out from the big cities and you'll see people living very, very basic lives. And that's what real communism is. It's it's that kind of basic life where you have to work for everything. If you don't work, if you don't contribute, you get nothing. That's communism or that's their ideal of communism. Everyone contributes something. But we've got the flip side of that here in the UK, where if you don't work and you can't be bothered to look for a job, you'll just be given money to stay at home and do nothing. And one thing I wanted to talk talk about tonight very, very quickly is the flow of people from Ukraine across Europe to Calais to come to the UK. Turns out our government moved the office 
which was supposed to accept refugees and them do their paperwork, it moved them several miles away because it didn't want the Ukrainian people mixing with all the people traffickers who are working in and around Calais to get them coming across on the small boats. So people have had trouble filling in the forms and getting access to the UK and being given visas. But I was just wondering, who's going to help us? Who's going to help us in the UK? Where are we going to go if we get invaded, if we get taken over, if the Great Reset happens and suddenly we find ourselves in a totalitarian government, they don't even have to cross the channel. They just have to put our politicians in the right frame of mind and our police force and our armed forces to turn against the people. And where do we go? I'm pretty sure my little boat is not going to get across the Atlantic. So where where do we run when, when there's well, nowhere to go? We can't run to Europe. Because it's already it's already taken over. I'll tell you how you get over this tidal wave. You ready for it? Oh, do tell me. The only way out is through it. Yeah. When you find you're halfway through hell, the only option is to keep walking. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right, my friend. And on that note, we are going to have to go. So for those of you who would like to send us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by dropping us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We would really appreciate it if you would tell five friends about us. Just five friends. That's all. Do you know somebody that's looking for information? You know somebody that's trying to come around and see the light? You can send them our direction. We'd be forever grateful for you to do that. So, Marty, thank you for being here today. Bruce, thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. If you're signed up to us on Telegram, we'll see you tomorrow. Good night, people.